Josh Fox is going to be appearing in South Florida in his one-man show, The Truth Has Changed, next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Wynwood, presented by Miami-Dade College Live Arts Series. Information, mdcliveartsorg And Josh Fox is here in the studio. Welcome to WLRN. Thank you so much for having me. Your program, The Truth Has Changed, uh, how long has this been in the works? Well, The Truth Has Changed as was originally um, a, a, a proposed to me by HBO as a solo performance, a one-man show, after my films uh, on that channel, Gasland and Gasland Part 2, and a film called How to Let Go of the World and Love All the Things Climate Can't Change. So when I went in to do a follow-up documentary, um, Sheila Nevins, the great guru of documentaries at HBO, said, you're going to do a one-man show, and we're going to put that on at the public theater, and then we're going to do that on HBO. And I said, well, you mean like Spalding Gray, like my hero? Like, yeah, I'll do that. Absolutely. So I started to develop it. And uh, for the last three years, I've been touring it around the country. I've been to about, I don't know, 25, 35 cities, something like that. And uh, this is the first time it's coming to Miami. You have an incredible track record and you have a banjo. When did the banjo into your life? Uh, well, I, I bought my first banjo. I got fired from a camp that I was working at. And uh, it was brutal. Um, I was doing a I just got kicked out at the last minute. I was I was a waiter at this camp, and uh, there were these um, French girls that were leaving for France the next day, and they had never had a campfire. So we decided to go have a campfire, and boy, did that not go over well with the camp. So they kicked me out, and but they couldn't they couldn't kick me out for a couple of days because I was involved in all the plays, and uh, so then I ended up um, in in the woods of PA, where I where I live, and uh, I was at a yard sale, and I bought a banjo for twenty five bucks because I love Steve Martin. Steve Martin was my hero. And then that banjo stayed with me. It's actually the banjo that's featured in the film Gasland. It was the same one. I only ever had that one. And um, that, that, uh, if you've seen that film or you've seen the cover of it, it's me standing there with a big, the gas mask on my face with the banjo in front of some uh, frack gas wells out in Wyoming. And that's the film that really defined the, the issue of fracking across the United States. Uh, but the banjo is a great companion, especially if you want to do a road trip. You know, it's like you have to have, you don't want to go alone. So a banjo is, you know, also you don't want, always want to go with somebody else, right? So a banjo is kind of a perfect companion because it, it doesn't talk unless you want it to. Uh, and it also always cheers you up if things get down. And uh, it's kind of like Toto in The Wizard of Oz. You kind of need that there. Does the banjo play a part in your new show, The Truth Has Changed? It certainly does. Uh, the show actually begins um, in a very auspicious circumstance, uh, which was the last time that I saw Pete Seeger and got to play with Pete Seeger. Uh, and that's in 2013 when I was doing Gasland Part 2. Um, and uh, Pete uh, was the person who taught me a lot over the years, most of the lessons I got from afar. But uh, the show begins with a lesson that I got right up close. I'd be happy to tell you about it if you want to know. Actually, Josh, uh, today we are doing fundraising, and I would like to do more with you. Uh, and I will continue the interview at our website. But for now, uh, in preparation for your program next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, how about giving us that presentation, and I'll give information about the show. About the show or the, uh, the, the the opening story? I think I'd like to tell that story. Oh, tell the story. Tell the story. So yeah. it was in 2013 when I was um, asked to introduce Pete Seeger. There was a, if you've heard of fracking, you know that in the, in the Northeast, in the, in the upper Delaware River Basin in Pennsylvania, that's the watershed for New York City. Um, you know, they were fighting the fracking industry. And they, people were so exhausted after doing this for four or five years, trying to defend their neck of the woods, that they asked Pete Seeger to come please give them a concert. 
in this tiny little town of Milford, Pennsylvania. So they asked me, and they called me up, and they said, would you please introduce him? And I was like, of course. Oh, my God, what an honor. Incredible. So he's a banjo player. I'm a banjo player. So I had this particular song that I thought I might use to introduce him, but I wasn't sure if this song was going to be okay with him, right? So I arrive, and it's a 100-year-old theater, and in the dressing room is a 93-year-old Pete Seeger. And I get there, and I say, hey, Pete, it's Josh. I'm here to introduce you. And I have this very particular tune that I thought I might play. Um, is it okay with you? And I told him what it was. And he says, you know, that was the greatest hit song of 1814. Like he was there. He says, a fella sang that song in a bar one night, and it was such a big hit, he had to sing it twice. And then, clip-clop, clip-clop, at four miles an hour, that song traveled up and down the east coast of the United States, and it became the most popular tune in all of America. And I said, whoa, <laughs> I didn't know that. You know, and I knew there was a lesson in there. So I'm going to play the song for you now, okay, just the instrumental, and you tell me if you can figure out at the end what it is, all right? Star-Spangled Banner, right? Adopted as our national anthem in 1931. And I thought right there and then, like, what was the lesson? You know, I mean, I thought right there, what is it? Is it, uh, be careful what you do in a bar. You might start a nation. No. <laughs> Isn't the lesson really, if a bar song can become the national anthem, then really we're just making up America as we go along? And anything is possible. And that's what he said to that room of bedraggled and exhausted and anxious fractivists fighting off the oil and gas industry for their future. He said, anything is possible. You have to believe anything is possible. You can do something right here in this room tonight that 200 years from now becomes that next great song, becomes that next great chapter, becomes that next great lesson in American history. You have to believe in that. Kind of like, you know, what Colin Kaepernick was doing when he started kneeling during that song. 
And I should mention that, you know, the tune that I just played, well, the lyrics that go on top of it, the jingoistic war poetry, that was written by an American. But the tune itself is an old European drinking song. It's an immigrant song. So Pete asked me when I got down, he said, where'd you learn to pick like that? And I said, oh, you know, the Internet. And that was the last time I saw him. Um, he, he died later that year. But it was very, very important to him to support that movement against fracking, to support the people who are fighting for a future and talking about climate change and talking about extractive energy and talking about oil and gas. Um, and that's the fight that we're in right now. And uh, I think that's, that's a very important part of the message of my, of my piece, The Truth Has Changed. And it sort of starts it all out. Uh, when I'm doing that investigation, uh, of Gasland that led me all across the United States and all across the world and, um, you know, for 10 years and then finally ending up, uh, you know, working with the Bernie Sanders campaign and um, making sure that we are uh, fighting for a future that's sustainable and uh, one that we can live in. Uh, and, and nowhere is that more of an important and pressing issue than right here in South Florida, right? Josh Fox is in the studio. Josh is presenting The Truth Has Changed this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the Lightbox in Wynwood. Information at mdcliveartz.org. Josh, you mentioned uh, gaslighting. That 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 film that you made, Gasland. Gasland. The yeah. film that you made uh, created a, a smear a smear campaign against you. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the film Gasland really was the first expose of the fracking industry. Right. Nobody knew even how to spell fracking. At the time. Um, so that was back in, I started doing that investigation in 2008. The film came out in 2010. So it was me just driving around the country in the back of a beat up 92 Camry, sleeping on people's couches and whatever, camping out and finding out what this industry was doing all across America. And it was despoiling people's lands. It was poisoning water. It was destroying their air. It was making their lives very difficult and dangerous. And when that film came out, the oil and gas industry wasn't too happy about it. Right. Because they wanted to expand fracking all across the Northeast. They wanted to expand it into Ohio. They wanted to expand it here in, in this uh, the Sunshine State. They, they still do. And they still do. And they want to power the entire United States using frack gas power plants. And that's a plan with a lot of pipelines. You might have heard the Sabine uh, Trail pipeline here in Florida and a lot of other pipelines. Um, so, you know, we were trying to make sure that we could preserve the sanctity of the Delaware River Basin and the beauty of the water and, and, and um, all that, the people who depend on that water, 16 million people downstream in New York City. So um, we we're fighting that industry, especially when I found out what they were actually doing. But my story is that they offered me, just like they offered everybody else in the region, um, you know, gas leases. And in my case, we had 20 acres, and that was worth about $100,000, just initial signing bonus. So the big story was that we turned down this $100,000 offer, and then we started to expose well, me. I started to expose what this industry was doing. So they got pretty angry, um, and they started a smear campaign against me. Um, they started to say that my journalism wasn't true, and it was fake, and all these things about me. And then they, we got nominated for the Oscar for Best Documentary. They, they attacked the Oscars. We won an Emmy. They attacked the Emmys. We were on HBO. We were seen in 32 countries by an estimated audience of about 50 million people. So the oil and gas industry spent $50 million attacking our film. 
um, which was a very small little movie, right? That I made basically shooting out of the back of a of a old beat up car, and and traveling around the United States in a very folk kind of tradition and the way to do that. Um, but here you have the most powerful industry on the face of the earth coming after me, and they spent ten years doing that, and they still do it now. They still attack me online. They smear me. They say, "Well, oh, this guy doesn't say." Well, even though everything that's been in the movie has been proven true, all the effects, the impacts on water, the impacts on air, the impacts on the climate. In fact, frac gas right now is the largest uh, new contributor to climate change in the world. So when we're talking about frac gas, we're talking about climate change. And that's something that, unfortunately, the Obama administration pushed on us, and obviously Donald Trump has. Um, and even Joe Biden is continuing to push frac gas in, in a great deal of ignorance about what that actually could do. But the oil and gas industry came after me, and the people who came after me were folks that you probably heard about a little bit lately, right? Maybe Steve, Steve Bannon, who was working for Andrew Breitbart. So my experience experience with Steve Bannon and company is not dissimilar from what Steve Bannon and company and a company named Cambridge Analytica did to the electorate in 2016. They got underneath they got underneath your skin, they got into people's minds, they started to mess with how the truth was working. So the truth has changed is about how smear and misinformation and propaganda, which I experienced firsthand, has now become the law of the land and the ruling ethos for the media and the social media, especially in the United States. Um, so it's that tortured and hilarious and, you know, very emotional journey through that landscape of the last 20 years, starting with 9-11, going through the fracking wars, going through the BP oil spill, and then coming out in this last election and with lessons to be learned for this coming election in 2020. Josh Fox is in the studio. His show is called The Truth Has Changed. It's funny you mentioned Pete Seeger and his, and his influence. Do you, do you feel any empathy toward the struggles that Pete Seeger went through? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, when you look at what Pete did and what Woody Guthrie did, and and uh, even my good friend Peter Yarrow from Peter Paul and Mary, and and uh, um, oh, the, the phone lines are lighting up. People are calling in to make, make pledges right now. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but um, no, when you think about the history of progressive politics, that's really movement politics. And when you have a movement base, you understand that everything has to go into that. Movies plays, songs, certainly. And those songs, you know, Which Side Are You On? Those songs, This Man Is Your Land. Those songs, If I Had a Hammer. Um, those great folk songs, right, um, are, are so incredibly uh, uh, important, right, to understanding what that was like, right? When you, when I, I was reminded by Peter Yarrow, who I've played with many times, that the, the, the Martin Luther King... Uh, March on Washington, and, and, and he was the uh, musical director for that. And that we remember because of the I Had a Dream speech, right? But he told me that that program was something like 70% music. And the music is always important, right? So it's, it's keeping everybody buoyant and positive and floating through, and it gives you a different kind of emotional charge. So, you know, the, the lessons that came from that generation are immense and huge. One of my favorites is Dave Van Ronk. I don't know if you know Dave Van Ronk. I love Dave Van Ronk. He's one of my favorites of all time. I, I, um, I got a chance to see him several times in New York City when I was a kid. Uh, the thing I know about Dave Van Ronk is that playing the blues was just a small part of his life. He was he was quite a character and uh, oh, yeah. quite politically active as well, but yeah. Yeah. not as we know him. Well, not all the folk people are politically active. My my teacher Roger Sprung was a banjo bluegrass banjo player. I don't play much bluegrass these days, but he 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 came up to me and he said, "Are you one of those protest people?" 
And I said, yeah, I think so, Roger. And he goes, oh, I don't know. You know, but to be honest, every major advance that we have in our society is because of those protest people. And I'm not, uh, I'm not hiding the fact that I'm a Bernie Sanders surrogate. I'm not hiding the fact that I go out there and try to make sure that we have a political revolution in our streets. This is a big part of our message, right? Um, we have an obligation in the United States right now to uh, continue that tradition of Henry David Thoreau, of Susan B. Anthony, of Martin Luther King, of, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Cornell West, and, um, uh, you know, of uh, uh, the great leaders of, of, this, of this nation, of Sitting Bull, um, of, of uh, the great environmentalists to protect the future. And right now we're in deep trouble. You know it. Everybody knows it. If we don't drastically turn this situation around with respect to oil and gas and fossil fuels, this radio station won't be here. This city won't be here. The entire south half of Florida will be gone underneath the ocean. Um, that is a very dire consequence. So we really have to make sure that we pay attention. And, and, and that is a, a, a transformation of our energy system. It's also a transformation of our mentality. Why can't we have a protest song that would represent this? Why can't we all get behind a movement of music. I think we do. I think we have amazing protest songs right now. I mean, I, I, I hear protest songs uh, everywhere where, where I go. The music in my play, The Truth Has Changed, is by a phenomenal musician, Golden Globe winning composer uh, Alex Ebert. You might know him as Edward Sharp from Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. That's a a, a band that's quite quite a lot of folk influence, right? If you know the song, I don't Home. know the band. Oh, Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zeros. You gotta <laughs> check them out. They're a very popular band, and he just came out with a new record that's got an enormous amount of uh, amazing stuff on it. But you you don't know like folk doesn't need to be banjos and acoustic guitars. You got Cardi B out there propping for Bernie, and she's she's you got Killer Mike going on. You got Public Enemy performing in Los Angeles, uh, you know, that's the folk music of this moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the truth of the matter is, like, f that that idea of music and protest music is not necessarily, you know, the, the tradition of Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger, although it's there. But you have that other tradition right now, very active, uh, you know, um, public enemy. You have <laughs> Cardi B going out there and doing what she's doing. You have um, my, my man Alex Ebert and Edward Sharp from Magnetic Zeros. You have so many different forms of music um, that, uh, uh, you know, even in LCD sound system, you can hear that kind of uh, revolutionary kind of groove. It's in there, and you just have to seek it out, and you have to follow it. I'm in the studio with Josh Fox. His new production, The Truth Has Changed. Is it fun doing a one-man show rather than the big productions of the movies? It's fun. It's, it's amazing. It's, 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 I don't know if I'd do it because it's fun. There's certainly times in it when it's fun. I think I was listening to Nina Simone earlier this morning. Oh, and I, she, I, I was just saying, Nina Simone was at that 1963 Washington yeah, March. I was listening to her solo record, Nina Simone and Piano. Mm -hmm. It was one of my favorite things. I was listening to on the plane over here this morning. And she said, there's a few times when I've experienced freedom. And those were when I was on stage. And she was, she was reveling in how difficult it is to experience this idea of freedom. And I think that when you're a performer, especially when you're a speaker or when you're a solo performer, that's the ideal but that's not because it's fun. I don't think you do it because it's fun. I think it's a great ardor of spirit and of discipline and of practice to get to that point. Um, but that's a question of connecting with an audience. And so what I've, what I've, um, I put myself through the fire in this show. This show is not easy to do. It's very emotionally um, draining. It's, it's, it's just me out there 
and my words and my stories and my music and my uh, uh, poetry and whatever you want to call it, my stories. Um, and they're very hard to go through sometimes. But when we are all together, like Shakespeare says, all our minds transfigured so together, um, there is a moment where we can push beyond the boundaries of the ordinary life of ordinary world. And I think that's a transcendent and cathartic experience. So I would call that rewarding. I would call that um, a, a, you know, a sort of uh, out-of-body experience or whatever you'd call it, like um, extreme. Um, fun is part of that, I guess, but I think it's a much bigger bigger kind of context. So hopefully people will come see that and be there because we've had incredibly positive responses to this production all across the, all across the nation. Well, what is your intention with the production? Well, I think, number one, in 2020, when we're in an election year, uh, we have to understand that the forces of propaganda, misinformation, smear, and disinformation are coming for us in ways that we are unanticipated and unprecedented, right? Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook is allowing presidential candidates to lie in their ads with impunity. Um, and what does that mean? Facebook is the largest uh, news uh, producing or news distributing organization in the world right now, whether or not we want to admit it. So for Facebook to break with the idea of truth is breaking with, you know, the entire idea of journalism, fact-checking, authenticity, um, verification. That's very dangerous. And who does that benefit? Donald Trump. That benefits the people who would rather not tell you the truth. Um, and we know that truth is based in fact and empirical reality and science, which is, you know, um, the science is telling us very clearly that we have to get off of fossil fuels because otherwise we will have most of our coastal cities completely lost, right? And we will see death and destruction on a, on a scale that we have never experienced as a human race. Um, the people who would push fossil fuels on us uh, would rather obscure that fact. So the means by which we understand reality, in other words, the means by which we process truth, are coming apart at the seams, which is what the truth is changes about. Uh, it starts with a young girl in high school who is asking me a question at the end of a screening. She holds up her hand. She goes, how do we know what's true? She says, you say all these things about how fracking is bad and climate change is real, but then we can look on the Internet and see that people are saying the opposite of these things are true. So how do we know? And that's what sets me off on this journey to try to figure out how to explain to this person, how do you find out what's true? Because that's the fix that we're in right now. Um, and we absolutely have to have a sense of truth if we want to continue to remain on the planet as a species. Josh Fox's new production, The Truth Has Changed, do people leave with a sense of hope? Um, that's up to them. I, I think the people, uh, every time we do this show, we do it in concert with activist organizations on the ground that are in the theater with us. Right. We don't lead people into a path of discovery, which is very dangerous and very upsetting. Right. Like the, the facts are very upsetting. Right. <laughs> We're on track right now to raise sea levels by five to nine meters. And we would lock in that consequence in the next 10 years by 2030. If we don't cut our emissions in half by 2030, this city goes underwater, period. End of story. That's it. It's over. And that means every piece of real estate, every piece of land, every single thing that's here, that's that done. That has to be done in the next 10 years. Right now, emissions are going up. 
We're on track by the end of the century to raise temperatures by 7 degrees Celsius. That's enough to stop all the phytoplankton in the ocean from photosynthesis. They will stop creating oxygen. That means the death of everything on land, right? So we're facing these very real realities. And when you deal with this in a very dramatic context, and people hear these things and they understand them for the first time in a real way that impacts them because that's the way the theater does it, it's hard. And people are really devastated. So you have to be in the room with people who are going to lead you into the place that you have to go. In other words, um, the activists, the people who are working on climate change, the people who are working on fracking, the people who are working on democracy. So every time we do this show, there will be a talk back with activist organizations in the room. Um, and that is where you gain redemption. When I'm not here as a performer to be like, oh, and everything's going to be fine. This is not Disney World. This is not the way this works for me. No. That's up to you. If you want redemption in this society, if you want hope in this society, you got to work for it. And hope means you get involved. Hope means you actually get into the movement because that's the only place hope is located. Everything else is some kind of somnambulistic denial. And if you want the city to go underwater, then it's fine. Just don't worry about it. Go have a party. Go to Miami Beach. Forget about it. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Move somewhere else. Who cares? Like, we'll just roll it up in a ball and kiss it goodbye. That's fine. If you can do that, if you can handle that, then that's the way your life should be. But if you want hope, if you want redemption, if you want salvation in this moment, you have to get involved. Because the hope comes from being with a community of people who are working on things together. It doesn't come from your individual notion. It doesn't come from somebody in a play. It doesn't come from some, um, you know, prescribed, like, idea that you're, everything's going to be fine. You have to create hope, meaning you have to create the future that is hopeful. But right now, we're all invested in, in creating a future that it has no hope. If we're going to turn that around, that's a lot of work. I, I'm not sure what you mean by redemption. Well, uh, I think the planet Earth is, is, is redeeming in and of itself. I mean, if you spend time in nature, if you spend time in, in the ocean, if you spend time in the coral reefs, if you spend time staring up at the, at the night sky without noise pollution, that's redemption. So redemption comes from the planet. Redemption comes from nature. Redemption comes from something inside of us that resonates with the way this planet's supposed to be. We're off course from that right now. Um, we can start to behave in ways that are more in tune with that. We can start to be more sensitive to that. Redemption also comes from giant music festivals. <laughs> Redemption comes from, um, from protest. Redemption comes from democracy. These are all things that are innate to us, that right now the, the oligarchy and the political establishment is trying to push us into, out of the way. Um, and that is a very, very hopeless and upsetting experience. Josh Fox, do you have hope? Um, you know, I think that's on a daily basis. It depends. Um, I think there's a lot of things that make me feel really miserable. And I think I'm, I have to continue to be aware of that. When I walk down the street and all I see are McDonald's and Starbucks and whatever chain stores and Walmarts, I get that's extraordinarily depressing and upsetting. When I see a mass movement in America that is fighting against those things, that gives me a lot of hope. So when I see what's happening um, with uh, this moment where all these movements are coming together, the Fight for 15, Medicare for All, the anti-fracking movement, the climate change movement, the women's movement, the Fight for Economic Equality, when I see that, um, and I see that a lot of that has been located and pushed forward by this campaign for Bernie Sanders, that gives me hope. Um, 
but I don't think that it's just a question of who becomes the president. I think it's a question of what we decide to do with our integrity about how we're going to continue to move forward. So that's what gives me hope. When I'm in the theater and I see people really want to get involved and they're not going to just sort of like blow it off and whatever, leave later and, you know, decide that somebody else's problem, that gives me hope. Hope is the American dream. Hope is always looking out into the future on the horizon and saying we, we, we understand that something better is on the way. Um, but right now, greed and uh, oligarchy and economic inequality and whatever you want to call this economic system, late model capitalism or whatever you want to call it, is a very deeply destructive thing. And when I say destructive, I don't mean just in terms of nature. I mean destructive in terms of our own hearts and minds. It's destructive to our understanding of what we are as human beings. And that, that, is, that is what hope, I think, fights against. Josh Fox's new one-man show, The Truth Has Changed, is being presented in South Florida Friday night at 8, Saturday night at 8, and Sunday afternoon at 3 at the Lightbox in Wynwood. More information on the internet at mdcliveart.org. Josh, that was great. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you. And uh, good luck with the show. All right. Hope to see you. That was great. Thank you so much. Cool. I'll go ahead and finish.